So uh, if you've been with us, you know, we've been doing a series on love and we come tonight to the mind of love. Uh, and I want to look, thinking about the mind of love and what, we, what I mean by that, I want to look at a passage from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7, verse 36, to the end of the chapter. So I'm going to read, you can follow along with me in the, we posted it in the chat, or you can get out a real Bible um, and look at the passage with me. So here, here God's word. One of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. So this is Jesus. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. And behold, a woman of the city who was a sinner, when she learned that he was reclining at table in the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of ointment. And standing behind him at his feet, weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head and kissed his feet and anointed them with the ointment. Now when the Pharisee, who had invited him, saw this, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would have known who and what sort of woman this is who is touching him, for she is a sinner. And Jesus, answering, said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. And he answered, say it, teacher. A certain moneylender had two debtors, one owed 500 denarii and the other 50. When they could not pay, he canceled the debt of both. Now, which of them will love him more? Simon answered, the one, I suppose, for whom he canceled the larger debt. And he said to him, you have judged rightly. Then turning toward the woman, he said to Simon, do you see this woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet, but she has wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You gave me no kiss, but from the time I came in, she has not ceased to kiss my feet. You did not anoint my head with oil, but she has anointed my feet with ointment. Therefore, I tell you, her sins, which are many, are forgiven, for she loved much, but he who is forgiven little loves little. And he said to her, your sins are forgiven. Then those who were at table with him began to say among themselves, who is this who even forgives sins? And he said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. Amen. And, uh, you know, what do we see in this passage? Well, let me, let me just by way of context. Now, you might think I'm preaching on the same passage that Chris preached on just uh, or taught on just a couple of weeks ago. There are multiple this, you know, Jesus, probably his feet were washed by someone and anointed by someone probably many, many times. You know, for us, this is foreign. We do not go into dinner and you see they recline. So it's like they're in a they're in a circle with your feet pointing out and they're reclining at table and eating in that way. I, it's hard for me to imagine eating. Lying, I mean, I don't know, couch potatoes. I suppose we do it. But, you know, it's the sort of lying down and you're eating facing in. And of course, they walked outside and they didn't have paved roads or sidewalks. It was dusty. It's a dry country. Most of it Israel. And so there was a lot of dust. And so they came in from outside with their feet dirty. And of course, it's an archetypal way in which Jesus expressed his love for his disciples and taught them to serve. On the night in which he was betrayed at the Last Supper, he washed their feet, right? He washed their feet. So this was a feature of uh, life. And um, G, uh, Chris spoke uh, uh, on uh, the anointing by Mary at Bethany. Uh, which happened at the end of Jesus' ministry, um, anointing him as he goes to the cross for crucifixion. And this is, this is a different context. Now, in the history of the church, they've been confused in two different directions. One, uh, the anointing with Mary is often confused as being Mary Magdalene, as opposed to Mary, the sister of Martha, the sister of Lazarus, Mary of Bethany. 
And so that was one way it got confused. And then that got conflated with this, the woman who's a sinner. And then Mary Magdalene is introduced in the verses immediately following in Luke chapter eight. And so Mary Magdalene was associated as the woman who was a sinner and that a sin was assumed to be prostitution. And somehow like I can meet people who know nothing about the Bible, <laughs> nothing at all, but they have some image of Mary Magdalene as being a prostitute. <laughs> so somehow that has entered from the middle ages on down. So I just want to say that by way of dispelling that multiple streams of confusion, just because we are not in the habit of washing our feet when we come in having worn sandals in a dusty climate uh, walking on dirt roads. Um, just because that's true doesn't mean that this should seem so that we should conflate all examples of it in scripture as one with another. Um, and so, so that this is, this is earlier in Jesus' ministry. And he, the key question in this chapter of the Gospel of Luke is, who is this? That's what they're asking. Who is Jesus? You see that said at the end. It said earlier, he raises the son of the, from the dead, the son of the widow of Nain, earlier in the chapter. And they say, a great prophet has arisen among us. You know, later in the chapter, the messengers come from John the Baptist. Are you the one we've been waiting for, or should we expect another? Um, and then here at the end of this passage, the Pharisees marvel, who is this that even forgives sins? Who is this? And so that, that's the key question here. But, you know, this is, this is in some ways a very uh, familiar, a lot of this is very familiar to us. Um, what is Jesus doing? So he's going in with the Pharisees. Now, who were the Pharisees? They were, they were very strict sect of the Jews, a, a, a particular branch of Judaism at that time, who were law followers, right? They viewed themselves as the strictest followers of the law. They were the most religious people. Nicodemus was a Jew. Paul uh, was a Pharisee. Paul was a Pharisee before he was a Christian. There was a whole group of Christians who had come from Pharisee backgrounds. Even in the early church, we see in Acts 15 at the council in Jerusalem, those who'd been Pharisees, they were the most legalistic when they were Christians. They had been the most legalistic in their Pharisee days, and they kept those legalistic tendencies. And, uh, and they're, they're, people, what do the Jews do? They sit around. What are, what are they interested in doing? Well, here is Jesus, a great teacher at a minimum. And they want to invite him over for dinner and have a conversation. And we can recognize that, right? What are we, if not people, who like to have a good conversation with someone who's smart or at least famous, right? If someone famous comes to town, you know, invite them over and have a conversation. And so that's, that's I think, very accessible to us. And, uh, you know, he sits down with them. But then there's this woman. A lot of Luke's description is of... The woman, she doesn't say anything, but he describes so many things about her. What is she doing? So she's uh, she's providing this um, act of act of care that again we see elsewhere in Scripture, and we see iconically Jesus doing for his disciples. Now it's a very humble action, of course. This is Peter when Jesus is, says, "I need to wash your feet." Peter says, "No, you know, Jesus is too important to be washing people's feet, right?" When we when we have a famous teacher over, you know, a famous professor, we don't make them wash anyone's feet. I mean, none of us wash feet. I, oh, we only wash our own feet and our babies, um, and maybe our elderly parents. Um, and uh, so, uh, you know, th this is a, this is a humble act that she's doing, but a, 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 a blessing. Um, and, and, you know, how is she described? She's weeping and uh, she's using her hair to dry Jesus's feet, right? She's anointing with ointment his feet. There's this total devotion being shown publicly by this woman, total devotion to Jesus Christ, unashamed, 
right? What do people think? Who cares? She loves Jesus. She is loves much. We'll, we'll get to that. And this is funny when we think about the, the mind of love, because what's in Simon the Pharisee's mind? He's looking at this. Now, he doesn't say this note out loud, but he, he, th- he says it to himself. You know, if, if Jesus knew it, because evidently she had a reputation as a sinner. Now, maybe that is an implication that she was a prostitute. Maybe it's not. It could be a variety of things. But whatever it is, Simon the Pharisee is known as a good religious person. And this woman is known as not a person you would let wash your feet. Whatever the, whatever the context is, we're not given more details than that. But, you know, we, we recognize, we should recognize that as well very easily, right? The kind of person who is, would have a nice proper sit-down dinner with the famous visiting teacher. And then the categories of people who you would not associate with. Now, we like to think of ourselves as very um, egalitarian and very open I mean, to, to all kinds of people. Um, and, uh, but surely we know we're, we're fooling ourselves. Uh, when, when you look at this passage, this is one of the questions for the small group discussions later, who do you identify with? Do you identify with Simon the Pharisee or do you identify with the, the woman washing and anointing Jesus's feet? Who do you identify with? You know, I think most of us probably fit in the chair. We're the kind of people who would happily recline. Well, they're not sitting in chairs. Recline at the table and have a conversation and judge someone else in your mind, right? This is Simon's judgment on her. If Jesus was a true prophet, if he had the mind of love, then he would know this is a woman he shouldn't let touch his feet. That's what Simon thinks constitutes the mind of God, <laughs> the prophetic insight of God is that if Jesus was a true prophet, then he would know who to shun. He would know who not to associate with. And um, who is that for us? What are those, who are the people who are invisible to us or visible to us and we reject? And I think many of us would be there right with Simon the Pharisee. We can recognize this, right? We're comfortable with people who act the way we act, who have the, the, the habits that we have. Maybe we're comfortable with like, people who know how to play the role of external good religious people. But if someone comes along who's not playing that role, or we know something about indirectly, maybe then we're very standoffish and we're very uncomfortable. And there's immediate, our mind is not one of Christ-like love. Our mind is one of self-righteous judgment, like Simon the Pharisee. Alternatively, I mean, maybe, I mean, many of us, I think, feel un, un, unwelcome, or even, even unworthy around quote unquote serious religious people. You know, maybe it's hard for you. Uh, well, it's hard for all of us to actually spend time, real time in Christian community face to face. So maybe it's made it easy. There's less judgment because um, none of us are actually in the same, well, some of us in the same room, but maybe you feel that, maybe you've experienced that. You know, maybe for serious religious people, you keep your sins the kind that you can hide well. Pride, self-righteousness judgmentalism right for others it's like maybe there's just something it's just out there uh, or you think it's out there and so you feel i can't come to the feet of jesus i can't enter into the house and you identify with with the woman well what is what is jesus response so jesus um reads simon's mind and he knows what simon's thinking to himself um and uh, what is, so he tells a story, 
uh, you know, I love Jesus teaching how he teaches, right? He teaches here with a little parable. And the parable is, is you know, there's someone, a moneylender, a banker, we Princetonians would use, you know, there's some banker and he's loaned money. And the one person owns 500 denarii. A denarius is, uh, you know, a typical worker's wage for a day. So 500 denarii, that's like, you know, year and a half's wage more than. Um, so, you know, think in your mind, whatever you think a year's wages, don't say it out loud or put it in the comment thread, but whatever you think that varies widely at Princeton, what people think someone earns in a year, but whatever you think that is, that's a fortune, right? 500 denarii, it's a fortune. And the other person is 50, that's still a fortune, but it's a more manageable fortune. You're talking a couple months wages, a couple months wages, and both are forgiven. Who will, uh, who will uh, be happier, right? Who will be, who, who will love the person who forgave that great debt? Love their banker more. Do you love your bankers? But you, maybe you don't have any bankers. You, normally people just resent them. Uh, but if they forgive you a fortune, then you might love them. And who loves more? The one who's forgiven the most. The one who has forgiven the most. And this, this just to feel the power, the gospel power of Jesus' point to him. Then he, you know, he, he points to the woman. She has, what has Simon done? Simon has engaged him, no doubt, in witty, interesting conversation, probably interesting conversation about debating different parts of the scripture. That's probably what they've been talking about. It's, it's a, a version of a typical Princetonian's idea of a pretty, pretty decent, uh, you know, Friday or Saturday, dare I say, even Saturday night, you know, let's sit around and have a nice conversation. Who needs Prospect Avenue, right? That did nothing uh, for me, like give me people to talk till the early hours of the morning about, you know, any kind of intellectual thing. That's what Simon is bringing. And in his heart, he's hiding his heart, his judgment, his self-righteousness, his false belief that prophetic insight would lead to rejecting <laughs> those who are um, in need of the gospel rather than welcoming them. Whereas the woman, she is uh, weeping she is expressing love. She is in very tangible, very tangible, hands-on ways, showing love of a very, very practical need. Because she, she knows, and why? Because she knows what she has been forgiven. More than a year's wages. More than money. But her very sins. She knows what it is, what Jesus is accomplishing in his work, which is to lay down his life as a very tangible act of atonement for the sins of all who will call him Lord. And so she loves him. She loves him and is devoted to him. I had this discussion years ago uh, with, a, with a friend, you know, and he was like, he's growing in faith. You know, he'd been like, you know, we'd been meeting together and um, I was trying to encourage him to, to grow in faith. And, you know, this was like when he was, when he was moving away, you know, this is a conversation we had, you know, he gotten much more serious about God. It become, it become much more of a real thing to him. Not just like I have a Christian identity. That's kind of where he started. Or like, I would like to be a strong Christian or then like, I'm a good, good kind of Christian. I like, I, I act in ways that look like I'm a good upstanding person. And then, like, I love God. <laughs> this, is, this was my agenda, very simple agenda. I wanted him to love God more than he loved other things, right? I wanted him to be devoted to God. And this is what he said. Like, this was a very challenging passage for him. Very challenging. I think it should be for all of us. 
because because Jesus came to lay down his life for you and I, like what response can there be to that other than the kind of devotion this woman shows? The kind of unashamed, open, public, tangible love for Jesus Christ. And that, that's a hard thing. Like I would be embarrassed if someone came in showing this much joy. I had this, I was visiting a, a French church years and years ago up in Canada. And it was, it was very, very uh, uh, Pentecostal. And by that, I mean, like, um, you know, in the worship, people were like, it was just to my mind, chaos, you know, people are like running around in the, literally in the aisles with flags and lying on the floor and yelling. And, you know, it was very, it was, you know, hard for me <laughs> coming from my background, which was much more like we worship God and, you know, with order. Um, you know, that's, that was my upbringing. God, God is a God who loves good order. Um, I don't know how true that is, but I remember being there in this church service and, you know, there's all this like dramatic displays of emotion all around me, made me very uncomfortable, um, dramatic displays of emotion. And I just had to say myself, leaving aside, you know, questions of like, you know, clarity in church services and how, how we should, how we should express our emotions. But this is just like, I, because in my heart, do I love God? Like this, this woman love Jesus Christ. Do I love Jesus that way? And the truth was, I do. I did and I do. And so seeing others express that in that way, I, do you know what it is to have all your sins forgiven? Has that taken hold of your life and transformed your life? Do you feel the, the truth of you have been bought at a price? This lady, she felt the truth of I have been bought at a price. And I'm not my own, but I belong to Jesus Christ you feel and know that so i remember standing in that church service and just you know and praying like lord i you know may i be able whenever it's appropriate in private or in public to show how much i love and worship you how much i am devoted to your will and to your ways and to your kingdom and not to my own may i have your mind to see others not in a judgmental way like i you know i think they're showing too much emotion there, or I'm going to be suspicious, <laughs> um, or cynical, or prejudge in a private, unexpressed way on Simon the Pharisee's part. But Lord, teach me the depths of how much I have been forgiven, so that I might know and express the depths of how much I am loved, how much and how much I res- return that love to the Lord and by extension to, to, to his people and by extension show it uh, to the world, to a fallen world that is desperately in need of repentance and new life. And so, 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 so do you know how much you've been forgiven? If, if our idea of love starts from a perspective of I know I owe no one anything. And so it's just sort of like positive vibes I send out. Just some positive vibes I send out when it suits me. That's not the kind of love Jesus is talking about. The kind of love Jesus brought is the love of there was a great, great debt owed. Now, when we look at the world, what do we see except a world lost and broken in sin? We see, we see a world filled. Day by day, we have reminders, everyday reminders in, in the news, but in our own lives and in our own communities of the ways in which we are we live our lives for ourselves. We twist like Simon the Pharisee, even the word of God as an excuse for our own self-righteous judgment, our own hostility, our own rebellion against God. 
And so do we know what, how, how deep a debt we owe? It can be hard. You know, I, frankly, if you're the kind of serious religious person, it can be hard. Jesus reserves his strongest words for the Pharisees, for the scribes, for those who thought they were right with God. It can be hard also in a, in a Princeton context. Frankly, Princeton's full of a bunch of winners. I don't mean that as complimentary as that sounds. You know, you're all winners <laughs> in the eyes of the world. Winners. More than you think. You may feel that imposter syndrome, but let, let me assure you, you are, you know, smarter and uh, taller and better looking, you know, <laughs> um, above average. But that, that, that very worldly success can be an obstacle for us to us recognizing our need, to us recognizing our true spiritual state. And maybe we would be happy to recline at the table with Jesus, but would we be willing to kneel on the floor before Jesus? And alternatively, maybe, maybe you do feel unworthy. Maybe you have things in your life that just... Uh, that you've done, that you just feel burdened, or things you struggle with, and you say, how could I ever come and approach? I just have to keep these things secret. How could I ever come to God? And here, this passage, what does it say to you? It says, come and receive forgiveness. Pour out your tears before the Lord and receive the joy of salvation that comes from being loved by him and then allow that love that comes from him to overflow in worship in, in care for others in testifying and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ. So who, who, who do you identify with? Are you a, are you a Simon the Pharisee? Are, are you a woman uh, doing the anointing? Are there categories of people? who for you are just, they just don't belong, or I wouldn't know how to talk to them. Our first response is that they would make me uncomfortable, rather than my first response, like Jesus, is to have his mind of love towards those who are in need. Uh, you know, it's, 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 it's inverted here. Simon the Pharisee thinks he's right with God. He thinks he's the one who owes at most 50 denarii, 50. And the truth is, he's the one who owes 500. And it's the woman who has had her debts forgiven. And so where, where are you today? Are you at the feet of Jesus? Wherever you're coming from, whatever, whatever you've done in your life, whatever you're struggling with, are you at the feet of Jesus, literally on your knees, worshiping him, thanking him, asking him for forgiveness, receiving him as Lord and Savior? Amen. Let me, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for this word. And uh, we thank you that... Uh, you love us, that you, you have love, shown your love for us in such a concrete, world-changing um, way in the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, uh, as a sacrificial atonement on the cross for our sins, that he did not stay in the grave, but he rose from the tomb, and that he did not, uh, that he ascended, that he, he, he sits in glory at your right hand, Father. And we pray, Heavenly Father, um, that you would enable us. I, I pray it for each one here uh, listening. You would enable them to come before you by the blood of Christ, through the work of the Holy Spirit in their own hearts, opening their eyes to their need for a Savior, opening their eyes to the truth of the message of the gospel revealed to us in Scripture. I pray, Heavenly Father, that for, uh, when, when we are uh, full of uh, hidden self-righteousness like 
like uh, Simon, the Pharisee in this passage, when we are full, full of judgment on others, even when it's unexpressed, Heavenly Father, help us, Heavenly Father, to see others as you see them, as those uh, who, who uh, are made in your image, who you are calling uh, to, to come to you in faith and to be your children, those who are in need of mercy. Uh, help us to see our own hearts that way. Heavenly Father, for those of us here who are overburdened by our sins and uh, our, 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 the recognition of our weakness, help us to rest uh, rest in uh, your forgiveness, to trust in the gift, uh, 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 the free gift of salvation uh, found in Jesus Christ. Help us to receive that overwhelming love that you have and help us to return it. Help us to bear great fruit by your spirit's work, relying wholly on its work in our lives, that your main name might be praised and that this, this, this uh, broken world, which cries out, for redemption, that we might be your servants to build your kingdom, uh, even today, and to looking forward to a, to a heavenly city, which is our true home. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.